Hey, let's go. Okay, um, here's uh, here's how I want to like format this a little bit. Oh, now I feel like I'm in a stadium. Echo. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna keep this thing pretty casual. Um, you y'all are gonna hear me speak like six times in a much more formal setting. So um, I'm gonna share a little bit of my story today, and then I want to give you a little bit of a tool uh, of what it looks like to to daily follow Jesus. Um, and then at the end, I'd love to open it up for like a little Q&A. So um, around, I'm not going to go too long, but whenever I finish, if you're like, cool, that was a super helpful tool, and you want to like bounce, by all means, if you want to stick around for the Q&A and listen to somebody else's question um, get answered, or you have a question, and it can have to do with what we just talked about, it can have to do with life, whatever you want, but um, I'd love to just kind of chop it up with you guys a little bit and have a little bit of a, a Q&A. Cool? All right, swag. Um, so uh, obviously you guys have heard a little bit of my, about my story, but I grew up missionary kid, pastor's kid, uh, all those things. So I grew up the youngest of four, really looking at my siblings as uh, the example, like people that I wanted to be like, my parents, people I wanted to be like. And all of my siblings now are like walking with the Lord, married to people walking with the Lord. My parents are actively involved in the church. Like I'm I am insanely lucky to have the family that I have, but I think I took that massively for granted when I was in high school. And so Christianity for me in high school was a little bit what I shared in my first talk of like, you kind of follow the rules and live a little bit of this boring life, like check all the boxes because that's what it takes to get heaven at the end of it. Uh, but I looked at all my friends that seemed to be having a lot more fun when I was in high school playing sports, whatnot. And I was like, dang, like I always kind of envied that. Like I looked at their life, the way that they were dating, the way that they were doing life. And, and I think if I'm being honest with you, there was a little bit of that for me that I felt like I was missing out. I had a little bit of that, like, oh, what would that be like? And so I graduated high school down in Ecuador. Uh, we moved, or I moved to the U.S. Uh, in when I was 18 in 2010, and I started going to Bible University. I walked onto the soccer team, got offered a spot, and um, at Biola, I didn't, it's like a Christian school for sure, but I didn't go to any of my like freshman floor events, any of the like mixers, meet and greet, anything. Like my whole life was soccer, go to class, eat, sleep, repeat. And it, uh, a college sport is absolutely like a full-time job. And so at the time, unfortunately, uh, the team that was at Biola was focused on soccer and not much else. Like the, uh, the coach that was there at the time had recruited a team that was like really competitive. We went to nationals that year, but there weren't a lot of people on the team that were, their first priority was following Jesus. And so we played soccer and then on the weekends or especially in the off season, a lot of the soccer team partied. And so I was like brand new to the U.S. I had the same group of like 10, 11 guys that I grew up with since like second grade. They were my ride or dies. And then I graduated high school, moved continents found myself in California where I had no real community and I had no people around me. And so um, I'm like a very adaptable, flexible person. I love people, but I found myself running with this crew that their number one priority was like sports and then having a good time. And so um, at Biola, I started kind of living for the weekend. Um, soccer quickly kind of ran out as far as like enjoyment goes. Uh, I had played sports my entire life and played in such a way that I, like, I loved it. I love sports, but I found myself... Um, 
not loving it. And a lot of that was I went to a small Christian school growing up, and then I found myself on a team where it was like, man, these people have been playing soccer since they were like five, six years old. I played three varsity sports in high school. So sports were always like a, a fun thing for me, but not everything, and I found that being everything. And pretty quickly in my life, I was uh, I felt super alone. Um, I was wrestling with depression. I was wrestling with um, a lot of anxiety. And a year-ish, year and a half into that, um, it, the the thing the weird thing for me was like there was never a moment where I went like God isn't real or like the church is fake or like like I never pushed actively against that. The analogy I always use is like I feel like since I've about been about seven years old, I've been on the freeway of following Jesus. Like that's been my life with these massive off ramps. Like there's been seasons in my life, and some of them are you know, a day long, some of them are a week long, and this particular one was probably about 18 months long, where I just, it just wasn't a priority for me at all. Like, I woke up each day, and maybe the last thing on my mind was, like, how am I going to honor God today, or how am I going to actively serve in my church? Like, for me, it was all, you know, sports, what do the people around me think about me, you know, trying to chase the next girl, or get that attention from a girl, or whatever it was, and it, it was fun, and I say this to my students all the time, like, sin is fun. Uh, if it's not, you're probably doing it wrong, okay? Like, there's something about what the world has to offer that's like, it is a good time. And I think I grew up hearing, like, the world won't satisfy. Like, don't do drugs. Don't have sex. Like, don't do all these things because, like, the world, it can't give you the same thing that Jesus does. And that's kind of true. And here's what I mean, okay? The world, the things that the world has to offer, they can absolutely satisfy you. They absolutely can make you happy, right? Like, uh, I love the great theologian Tosh.0 once said, like, that money can buy, that's right, money can buy happiness, right? He's like, you ever seen somebody unhappy on a jet ski? He's like, try it, right? You're out there just like, Right? Like, it's a great time. Like, you're going to have fun. Like, the, the, you're, when you're chasing the life the world has to offer, it's not that it isn't fun. It is. It's just not fulfilling. It's not, and there's a big difference between those two things. Like, it, it feels like it fills you up, and then it empties. And then it fills you up, and then it empties. And it fills you up, and then it empties. And so, when you're smoking weed, or when you're sleeping around, or when you're chasing the next relationship, or whatever it is, like, you're going to experience high highs and low lows. Like, you're going to have moments where you're like, this is the best, and I'm having a great time, and like, you know, that your boys around you going like, I love you, man, and you're like, I love you, man, and you're like, this is the best. Why did anybody tell me this was boring, right? And you're like, uh, uh, get money, right? Like, this, like, you're having a great time. The problem is, like, when I found myself alone, I was super alone, and then I, I was, like, chasing the next weekend and, like, chasing the next weekend and chasing the next weekend. And, like, I would date this girl for a little bit. And then it was kind of like, eh. Like, I was the heartless romantic, right, where I'd be, like, all in and be, like, me and you, babe, like, to the, right, like, we're going to into the sunset. Like, this is going to be great. And then, I'd be, I like, four months in, I'd be, like, I don't really like you anymore. And I'd find the next girl that I'd fall head over heels in. And like my priorities were just so out of whack. And so probably like 18 to 22 for me uh, was just a lot of confusion, a lot of, um, like I said, it's, it was kind of that like on-ramp, off-ramp. I, I went back to um, two summers down in Ecuador in the middle of all that, ironically, where like in the U.S., I'm partying, I'm playing soccer, I'm doing all this stuff. And then I go back to Ecuador and I'm like leading international missions trips. Talk about weird, right? Talk about like awkward, 
like the I would be here and then I'd go to Ecuador and people would be like coming to serve and I'd be like in these tribes in the jungle like doing missions work and I was like I wrestled a lot with like who are you like what what is happening with this like back and forth of like you're in it you believe in Jesus like you want to serve Jesus and then the reality strikes of like who all your friends are and who all like this your priorities in the US are 100% focused on like things that you want and that you want to do. And so it felt like this this really back and forth season where I shared like very briefly on on Monday morning, but it really wasn't until I started taking a dive into God's word. Um, I came back to Biola, actually switched my major from uh, uh, business to biblical studies. I flip-flopped my major and minor. Uh, I quit the soccer team, walked away from a friend group. And let me tell you, like, Making drastic changes like that in life is really hard. It was really, really hard. I had like massive identity crisis when I walked away from the soccer team going like, I've been an athlete my entire life. I've never not played organized sports. And my junior year of college, like I kid you not, like I'm the most sociable, like I love people. And I'll never forget what I felt walking into the cafeteria my junior year with my food, like walking in going, oh no, like I don't have any friends, right? And that's like a sucky feeling. Like if you've ever felt that before, if you ever like moved to a new school or maybe you're in that season right now where you like walk to eat somewhere and you feel like like maybe you can put a brave face on or you can put a smile on. But that's just like, that's a horrible feeling to go like, I don't know anyone. And my junior year was like a huge transition year where the Lord like used that year in a lot of ways. Um, the summer after my junior year, I actually ended up working up uh, up here um, at Humanite Christian Camps. And like, this is one of the places I found community, like genuine, authentic community for the first time. And then my senior year at Biola, I like experienced fun college life for like the first time and was like, oh, this is fun. Like, this is cool. Like I had a good, good group of friends that were like super involved in church. I started interning at a church. Um, and then college ended, and I was like, oh, no. Like, I feel like I just lived my freshman year, and I packed up everything I had in a bag. I moved up to a little town called Atascadero. Um, I landed a job as a junior high pastor, and a month into that job, my boss cheated on his wife, and the only person that I knew in that entire town was this dude who recruited me to live there, and all of a sudden, he was just, like, gone. I was like, cool, and I found myself, again, super lonely, like, in a job that I had no clue what I was doing, um, working for a church that I didn't really know outside of this one guy that had recruited me from up at Hume. So anyways, like I, I, I could go on and on and on for, for the next like three to five years, probably from like 21 to 25 was lots of that. Like seasons where I went like, oh God, this is what you've been doing all along. Only like six months later to be like, what the frick? Like I... I thought I understood, like, where you were going, God. Like, what is this, right? Like, and then, it would be like, a, like, six months or a year later, I'd be like, oh, like, oh, God, like, you, I see what you were doing, right? And I'm, like, calling my dad, going, like, you'll never guess, like, this opportunity, blah, blah. And then, like, that opportunity would be like, Phew. I'd be like, wait, serious? Like, huh? And so, yeah, like, it, my, I could go on and on and on and, like, tell you these stories of, like, so much of my life was, Graduating high school, figuring out, like, what is all this stuff that I thought I was missing out on? And let me tell you, like, if you're in that space or, like, you feel a little bit of that, like, exploratory, like, what could that be like over there? It's not worth it, right? I look back and I'm like, do I regret it? 
eh, like I don't regret a lot of the things that I learned from, and I think I know my personality well enough to know, like my mom was like, that stove's hot, and I was like, that stove's hot, right? Like, and touched it and burned the crap out of my hand. Like, that was a little bit of my personality, and I think God knew that about me, and um, I don't think he ordained that for me, uh, but I think he watched me touch the stove and go, yeah, like I, I told you in my word, like that's not the life I had for you. And yet I think I had to figure a little bit out for myself. But I would stand here confidently and go like, if you can save yourself from all of that. Like when I was growing up, the uh, the like rebel church kid was the kid that would like put his cigarette out and then like walk into church, you know. And, be, and we'd be like, whoa. Like that kid in the back, he's like giving himself like a pen tattoo. And you're like, dang, like. That dude's hard, right? Like, that was the, like, rebel church kid. Now, I think in today's culture, in today's day and age, I think the rebel church kid is the kid that's, like, 17 and is, like, I've never looked at porn. And you're, like, whoa. Like, dude, you're BA. Like, that dude is, like, like, because it's so rare, right? It's it's the girl that goes, like, no, I've, I'm, I've never been kissed. And I, I haven't been in a relationship. And, like, I'm waiting for a dude to, like, treat me with love and respect. And you're, like, dang girl, right? Like that's the stuff that I look at now and I'm like, that's the real rebel, right? Like that's the person that can walk into a world and a culture that's like screaming, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like back in Israel, they were probably made fun of, right? Like you ever thought about that? Like the nation of Israel was going haywire and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't prepare for the exile in exile, which means they were living for the Lord before exile, so, like, the four dudes that probably got made fun of at their high school, when they went to Babylon, they were ready for it. They were prepared for it. And they find themselves in Babylon prepared, ready to stand, and they get offered, like, choice wine and choice food and new names and, like, all the things that go with being in the king's palace. And they're like, no, like, not for me. And you're like, whoa. Like, these dudes said no to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon? How? Like, that's the real rebel, right? And yet I think, like, uh, sometimes that's the person that's insecure, right? Like you might be the like Christian girl or the Christian guy and somebody comes into your church and they're like telling their testimony and they're like, and then I went to prison and you're like, dang. And you're like, and then like Jesus saved me from my heroin addiction. And you're like, my testimony sucks, right? Like uh, I was raised in a Christian home and I've always loved Jesus, the end, right? Like that's, it's kind of a boring testimony, but it's not, right? Like let me tell you, if you're sitting in this room like that, God can use that in some crazy ways if you're not wrestling through and you're not, like, in counseling for a lot of the things that you've been wrestling with for a long time. Like, God's going to use that in massive ways. You're going to start on third base in life, and, and you're going to do some incredible things. And that's not to say, like, if you're sitting in here and you're in counseling, like, <laughs> me too, right? Like, that's, God will use that in some cool ways too. But all that to say, like, a lot of my life has been this, like, on again, off again, on again, off again, which has led me to what we're talking about today, like this, this passion for really following Jesus daily. Like what does it look like to wake up in the morning and go, today I want to follow Jesus? Because I think that's what it takes, right? Like if you set it on autopilot, if you just take your life and you go, when I was seven years old, I gave my life to Jesus. One day I will go to heaven and the rest of it, everything in between is just a little bit autopilot. You will not follow Jesus. Does that make sense, right? Like y'all ever been on a lazy river before? Um, last summer, I took all my high school students to Biola University for our summer camp and um, we pu pulled off this huge camp there, but there's a water park across the way and we're like in the lazy river and me and all my crazy high school boys, they look at us leaders and they're like, let's go upstream. And I'm like, 
okay, right? And so we turn around, and 30 minutes later, the manager comes up to me, and he's like, I'm about, I'm like this close to kicking your whole crew out, right? Because we just said, like, we dominated the lazy river. We were just, like, doing everything we could to go upstream. And if you've ever tried to, like, stop in a lazy river and go upstream, it's super hard. What happens if you pick your feet up in a lazy river? It just takes you, right? That's why it's called a lazy river. And so uh, the world is a little bit like that. Like, if you just go to high school or you're in your sports teams or you're in your families and you just kind of go like, eh, I, it, it is what it is, right? Like, you do you, I'm going to do me. Like, that's the lazy river of culture. Like, it will take you. The only shot you have at following Jesus is if you wake up on a daily basis and, and like, open up the palms of your hand, like, physically and just go like, all right, Lord, like, what would you have for me today? What does it look like to follow you today? And notice that's different, right? I'm not talking about like picking yourself up by your bootstraps and like white knuckling Jesus because that will lead to you're just going to burn out and like you're going to end up in the exact same spot I was where you're going to go like, that guy, he was a liar, right? I tried every day. Like it, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about like a, a position of receiving. Like, all right, Lord, the work of the cross is already done. Right? Your good news of your gospel is I don't have to work hard to get to you. You already did the hard work to get to me. Now what? Right? Like it's an invitation into following Jesus daily. So here's three things that I think we do with Jesus on a daily basis, and then we're going to dive into God's word, and then I'm going to give you three things, um, like tools that you need in your life to follow Jesus. So three things we do when it comes to Jesus on a daily basis. Number one, and I'm a good pastor, so they're all, they all three start with D. Okay, you're welcome. Um, the first one is disregard. Okay? I think there's uh, seasons in our life where... If you're sitting in this chapel, I'm assuming, maybe this is an unsafe assumption, but I'm kind of assuming you're following Jesus, right? Like, if you're not following Jesus and you don't really care about, like, the chapel part of camp, unless you followed some cute girl in here, um, you're probably not in the, like, optional speaker seminar on a Tuesday afternoon, right? So, it like, as a follower of Jesus sitting in this chapel, there are still times where I believe that you disregard Jesus, there's 168 hours in a week, and there's so many moments throughout my week where I'm like, dang, I just went a whole day, and I didn't even really think about Jesus. Like, I didn't invite him into anything. My prayer life was like zilch, right? Like, I just, I went, I think it's, it's pretty easy to walk through a day and kind of just forget. Like, we're forgetful people. If you start looking at your Bible, at how many times God told us to remember, I think it's because he knew we were forgetful. Like, they're crossing into the promised land in Joshua 3 and 4, and God's like, uh-uh, stop where you are. Pick up 12 stones. And they're like, what? And he's like, trust me. And they pick up 12 rocks, and they go over, and they put it on the other side of the river, and they're like, okay. Like, what now? And he's like, trust me. When your grandkids ask and their grandkids ask, what are these 12 stones? Tell them that you were slaves in Egypt and that God rescued you, brought you out of Egypt, out of the desert, and into the promised land. And they're like, okay, like, why would we do that? And then, like, a generation later, they're like, what God? And God, like, I just imagine, right? Like, I don't think God's impatient in this sense. Like, I don't think he's sarcastic, but I imagine God going, like, hey, I'm gonna put these 12 stones so you remember, and they're like, okay, and then the next generation, they're like, who, what God? Where are you, God? And God's like, can you look at the stones? No, okay, all right, like, okay, all right, we'll keep going, right? Like, prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, king after king after king after king, the whole Old Testament is packed full of God, reminding his people, inviting his people, because I think it's easy to disregard him. The nation of Israel, 
pillar of fire in front of them, pillar of smoke. And they're like, where are you, God? We don't, we're tired of this food. We want quail, right? And like, if you read the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, you kind of laugh at them. Right? Anybody read that story and laugh at the nation of Israel and go like, y'all are idiots. Like, you, you are literal idiots. And until you look in the mirror and realize like, so much of the nation of Israel is allegorical to how we live our lives today. How much does God provide for us on a daily basis? And we're like, we want more, right? Like, when was the last time you made a Christmas list and you got what you wanted on the Christmas list and then you still cared about that thing a year ago or a year later? It just, like, very, it's rare, right? Like, it's pretty rare that we still desire the things that we desired three years ago, five years ago, whatever it is. Like, and God knows that about us. So, number one thing that we do is disregard. Number two is uh, we downplay. We downplay. And with downplaying, um, I like to call this uh, Lunchable Jesus. Y'all remember Lunchables? Anybody still eat Lunchables? Hey, let's go, okay? Um, (laughs) We buy Lunchables for Piper now, but honestly, if I'm being totally honest, like it's just a good excuse for me to buy Lunchables. And I'm like, they're for Piper. And then your boy's eating them in his truck, right? Like I, it's fun. It's it's fun to make those little pizzas. And so uh, in a Lunchable, like you peel back, the thing, and there's all the compartments, right? And there's, like, the cracker compartment and the cheese compartment and then the little, like, sauce compartment. And a Lunchable is ready for you to, to take on the go, and it's got its little things. And Lunchable Jesus, for me, is uh, when we believe in Jesus and we genuinely desire to follow Jesus and we're really willing to give him a part of our life. Does that make sense? Right? It's like Wednesday nights, God, I'm all in. Sundays, I'm all in. Like that week of the mission trip or the week of camp. But if we're being like totally honest, there's aspects of our life where we still kind of go like mine, right? Like my dating relationship or my career or my pursuit of that college or my desire to play this sport. Like there's maybe areas of our life where we go like, this is, this, these are the things I'll worry about. And Jesus, like, I'll give you. I'll give you these things, and I think we downplay Jesus when we think that he's okay with that. When we think that Jesus died so that, like, our church selves can live a certain way, and then we can live however we want the rest of the time. Does that make sense? Or I, I think we also downplay him um, when we view Jesus as what we think Jesus is rather than letting the Bible inform us of who Jesus is, right? Like, I think we downplay Jesus when we view Jesus as, like, soft, when we view Jesus as, like, sash-wearing, like, uh, lamb-holding. Like, have y'all ever seen the pictures of Jesus where he's, like, kind of glowing? He's got, like, long, beautiful hair. Like, that Jesus is not helping me in the middle of an anxiety attack, right? Like, that Jesus is not helping me when I lose somebody that I love dearly and that's, like, in my life. And, I, and like, I'm not crying out to that Jesus, But if you look at the Jesus of the Bible and read about the Jesus of the Bible that didn't just show up in the New Testament, right? He showed up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was through the person of Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things that were made were made through him, Jesus. So the Jesus that shows up, God in a bod, was in the beginning of time, 
and he was the one that spoke into existence the world around us. So when he said, mountain range, you go there, and creation responded, like, that's my Jesus. And so, like, I, I just really think when we downplay Jesus into this, like, we put him in, in this little corner, and we think that's okay, we're missing out on an opportunity to follow the Jesus that the Bible informs us of. So I think these are the, the first two things that, that we make these mistakes. We disregard him, we downplay him. And then the last one, which we're going to finish um, spending the rest of the time talking about, is becoming a disciple of Jesus. Okay? Um, the word disciple literally means, like if, you want to take, if you're taking notes right now and you just write disciple equals, it means learner. The most literal translation of the word disciple is learner. And you know, want, to know, want to know what I love about that? Um, I'm not going to make you show your hands. Like, that's kind of weird. But anybody ever, like, in, a little bit intimidated by following Jesus for the rest of your life? Is it a little bit daunting to anybody? Like, I remember, I remember being in high school, and especially when I thought Christianity was boring, I was like, forever? Like, always? And, like, it was, like, the rest of my life, and then I die, and for, like, all of eternity, like, for the next 5,000 years, we're supposed to just be in, like, church? I was like, oh, man. I mean, I like hymns as much as the next guy, but, like, that, that's a long time to follow Jesus forever, and it was kind of daunting, to be honest. But I love the term learner because I, I get to have these cool conversations with my grandpa. My grandpa immigrated from Argentina when he was 17, and we'll have these, like, rad conversations about him growing up as, on the mission field, like, second, third generation in Argentina, and he'll, like, call me and be like, hey, I was, I was opening up my Bible, and I was reading in John, and, like, I really felt like God was teaching me this, and I'm like, this dude's, like, 86 and committed to learning about the God of the Bible. And I'm like, that's the coolest thing ever. And for me, like, being a learner feels like an invitation, right? It's like Ted Lasso's, like, stay curious, right? Like, be a curious person. Learn Jesus. And so how do we do that? Uh, through these three things. So uh, open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. Um, if you're familiar with the book of John, uh, I, I love the book of John. It's, uh, it's not one of the synoptic gospels, right? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, they're all very concerned with the teaching of Jesus or the miracles of Jesus. Uh, John's only concern is teaching the life of Jesus, right? So it's, they're very, very different. Um, I playfully call it John the stoner gospel, right? Like he leaves out, uh, Christmas, he leaves out the baptism of Jesus. Like there's, there's these seemingly important things that John just, he doesn't care about at all. And so uh, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience, right? He's like, starts out with a genealogy. He wants the Jew to know, like Jesus came from a lineage. Mark's like your bang, bang gospel. Everything happens really quickly. Immediately this happened, then immediately this happened, then immediately this happened. It reads like a newspaper. And then Luke's a doctor, right? And Luke, he, he starts out his letter kind of showing his cards, that he's a doctor. He's like, my dear Theophilus, like, I've taken upon myself to give you an orderly account of the life of Jesus. And you're like, okay, Luke, right? Like, he takes these, it goes into these details about the life of Jesus that none of the other gospels touch. 
And then there's John. Right? And John is like, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And you're like, what are you talking about, John? Right? Like, it, it's so much of John chapter 1, verses or 1 through 18, like the lens through which we're supposed to read the rest of the book of the John, is like, I could chew on that for like a month. Like, there's so much in it. But he, he, he tips his hat too. In John chapter 21, he says, I write these things so that you might believe. And that through believing, you would have life in the person of Jesus Christ. His whole concern is that he's going to convince you that who this Jesus is is worth giving absolutely everything to because he's going to invite you into a life that's actually life. And that's what changed my life. Like everything that changed my life, that changed the course of the direction of my life was looking at this Jesus through the lens of John going, man, that's the Jesus I want to follow. And so John chapter 15 I love this passage. Every time I look at this passage, I feel like God teaches me something different. Um, uh, he's in the upper room at this point. They've, or Sorry, they've already done the upper room. They leave the upper room. He's in the garden across, if you've ever been to Israel, he's kind of left the city across the valley looking back at the city. He finds himself uh, most likely in a vineyard. That, that whole area was rampant with vineyards. And I just imagine Jesus like plucking a branch off of a vine, off of a vineyard, and starting to teach his guys. And he says this in John chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, which is a very bold statement. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Amen. Okay? That's the word of the Lord. Okay? Now, what's, right, y'all go to church, like you hear pastors preach, like, what's the word that stands out in this passage? Okay, maybe love. What else? Remain, okay? Yeah, like, 13, I think it's some 13 times Jesus says, like, either abide or remain, right? Like, it's, it's he goes, like, abide, 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 remain, 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 remain. And, and really, like, the, this word remain, it's, it's this, like, active stillness, Right? And that's like an oxymoron, right? But it's this ability to be pursuing Jesus, but constantly knowing that it was his pursuit of me that allows me in the first place to pursue him. It's this weird 
tension it, to, that, that we live in of receiving his grace, but then also his grace allowing us to pursue him in the first place. And so uh, when I read this passage and I hear abide, remain, that's, that's been the thing for 30 years of my life that stood out to me. And then this last year I was reading this passage again and I just started circling. And I circled the words, I, me, my. Right? Literally, you can see it in my Bible. It looks like it has chicken pox, right? Like, I, me, my, 38 times in this passage, Jesus says, I, me, my. And it was this last year for me that I feel like God has been using this passage to remind me, right? Like, sometimes in my pursuit of abiding, I can miss Jesus. Isn't that weird? But like Christian in the room, sometimes in your pursuit of Jesus, you miss Jesus. Like some of you are so focused on your daily Bible reading that you forget Jesus. Like some of you are so focused on serving in your church communities that you miss Jesus. And Jesus is the one that says like, come to me all you who are weary, all you who are exhausted. Like my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Like hook, attach yourself to me, I, my Jesus is very clearly telling his disciples, like, this is about me. And, and I just want to, like, double down on, like, the very first thing before we talk about anything else that, that I want to point out is, like, don't miss Jesus and your pursuit of Jesus. And, and, and like, I, I know that might sound like, huh? Right? Like, that's some, like, Yoda stuff right there. But here's what I mean. Okay? I, I love this Dallas Willard quote. He says, uh, when he's talking about spiritual disciplines, like the things that allow us to connect with God, right? It's not the spiritual disciplines themselves that help us connect with God, but they remove obstacles and allow God to do the work that he's already doing. But he says this about spiritual disciplines. He says, don't do these things. Become the type of person that does these things. And you're like, huh? But there's a difference, right? Like, don't just white knuckle, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Try your hardest to be a good Christian, whatever that means. Become the type of person that does those things. Because that's what Jesus is concerned with. He's much more concerned with your transformation than he is your Bible reading. Right? And now, like, don't get me wrong. Like, is reading the Bible important? Yeah. But when I ask my students, hey, how's your relationship with God going? You know the top two answers I get? I probably should be reading my Bible more, and I probably should be praying more. I think we're missing it. If you walked up to me, and you, like, you interrupted me and my wife, we're having dinner, and you went, hey, Austin, how's your marriage going? And I went, I probably should hang out with her more, and I probably should talk to her more. None of you would be like, aw, cute, right? Like, no, no one would, would say that about their, like, no one wants that type of marriage going like, I probably should spend more time with them. Like, ugh, no thank you. It, but, like, I don't know why, like, so often I think that's our response with God. Like, I probably should spend more time with them. It, my wife always challenges uh, me and students around us with this question. She always says, when you hear God speaking to you through his word or in prayer, like, what's his tone sound like? When you think about how God would speak to you, what's his tone sound like? And friends, most of the time, the way we answer that question is frustrated, impatient, tired, right? It's like, it's like we, we're like, sorry, God, and he's like, again, right? Like, is that relatable to anybody? Like, sometimes we go, like, we open up our Bible, and we're like, sorry, Lord, it's been a while, as if he's like, finally, Jessica, right? Like, 
it's been a minute, right? You said you were going to read your Bible in a year this year, and you made it through February 14th, and then Valentine's Day hit, right? And then Sam started paying attention to you, right? It's like we, we go off on these rabbit trails, and then we come back to God. Maybe, like, we're convicted at a camp like this, and we come back to God, and we're like, all right, Lord, this time I'm going to try. And as if he's sitting in heaven going, like, I've seen this movie before. And that's not God, right? That's not his heart for you. And I just love that he goes like, I, me, my, I, me, my, I, me, my, I, me, my. Like, come back to Jesus and know that Jesus, like, every time you come back to him. And having a a two-and-a-half-year-old, y'all, has taught me so many lessons when it comes to this. I'm going to unpack some of this in our next couple of talks. But when my baby girl, like, I don't know if any of you walked by me at lunch today, but my daughter was having, like, a World War III meltdown. And, like, just, like, literally, like, arched back, like, snot all over my shoulder. Like, it was one for the ages, okay? The only one that's topped that was the middle of Cars Land in Disneyland, which was extremely embarrassing, but it is what it is, right? Uh, Mater was looking at me like, dang, right? Like, it was, it was bad. But uh, in the middle of this meltdown, like, I'm sitting there, and, like, finally, like, Piper and I do this thing where I, I try to get her to calm down by, like, the, eventually, the way I, like, win the war is, like, we touch noses, and I get her to take a deep breath. Like, it's the only thing that I can get her to, like, sober up, like, to come back to me is, like, we touch noses, and then I'm like, you ready? She goes, I'm ready. We go, and then she's back. It's like my daughter's back, right? It's like the arched back, crazy little whatever Tasmanian devil is like gone and I get my Piper back and but friends can I tell you like when when Piper does that 98% of the time like there's probably 2% of me and there's been maybe like one in the last two and a half years like tantrum where like I've been like right and it's like babe you're on right like I need to walk away from this but most of the time when my daughter comes back to me I'm not like finally if she wanders off and then comes back and goes, Dada, do you want to play Magnetiles? I'm like, uh, yes, right? Like, I do want to get down on the ground and play Magnetiles with you. Like, I love that crap. But my love, my love for my daughter is like a drop in the bucket, right? God's love for you is like Niagara Falls. Like, if you compared my love for my daughter to God's love for you, it'd literally be like one drop next to Niagara Falls, like tens of thousands of pounds of water just pouring over. And why do we think for a second that when we come back to him, God's like, finally. Like, I, me, my, I, me, my, I, me, my. God, God desires relationship with you. Okay, so lastly, here's how we're going to close. How, how do we do that? Three things. Three ways that we lean into him. The first one is prayer, okay? And I love, um, I probably shouldn't say this as a pastor from up front, but I, I suck at praying. Like, it's the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around. Like, in my mind, I'm like, so if I pray for something, something could change even though he's sovereign. I'm supposed to, like, pray for this person with cancer that, like, they, the cancer gets removed. But God already knows whether the cancer is removed or not removed. But prayers still matters. What? Like, I wrestle. I, like, really wrestle. And yet, the one thing I can't get past is, like, Jesus himself went off all the time in a quiet place to pray. And then when he told us how to pray, he said, when you pray, not if you pray. Right? And so, like, I, I don't get it, and I'm still wrestling with it. That's a big part of the, like, learner discipleship piece for me. But prayer, um, one of my dear friends taught me this definition. She said, prayer is simply spending time with the person who loves you the most. 
And I love that, right? Like, I'm a big road trip guy. And uh, when Paige and I are in the car road tripping, a lot of the time, right, like road trip people out there, like married people out there, a lot of the time when you're in the car with your spouse, it's not like you're like, la, 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 like it's most of the time it's just like we're just enjoying presence it's just like time spent together and so i love the idea that the god of the universe the all-knowing all-powerful god desires to connect with us through prayer and so uh, so many of us are busy so many of us are like distracted uh we get, get the airpods in we always have the podcast going whatever it is and i would just challenge you like make space in your life for intentional time to connect with the person who loves you the most there is no one that loves you more than god connect with him prayer number one number two god's word okay and i jokingly did this on stage remember when i did the like magic eight ball thing <coughs> i was like like god what do you want for me today and then we open it up um, my guess is some of you out there are Bible nerds like me, and you're like, I love the Bible, and you like read it all the time, and I'm like, cool, we get each other, right? But my guess is most of you, when you open the Bible or when you try to open the Bible, you might read it and then go like, huh? Well, I tried, right? Like, check, move on. And here's what I would just challenge you with. When you read the Bible, do two things every time you read it. Number one, before you read, open it up and just pray. And invite God in. If he is the author of scripture itself, just invite him into your time. And go, Lord, like, I desire to read your word. Would you reveal yourself to me through your word? And then that's number two, is read the Bible. The last thing you should ask when you read the Bible is how does this apply to me? But in America, especially in uh, Western America, we jump to... How does this apply to me so quickly? And I would just challenge you, right? Remember we said this last night, the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. And I think the, the very first reason it was written for you was to reveal God's character. Right? So the first thing you do, invite God in. The second thing you do when you read your Bible is ask, what does this have to do with God? Not what does this have to do with me? If you read the Bible like seeking genuinely to discover who God is, I think you'll be on an endless journey for the rest of your life and watch how something that used to be kind of dull and boring, you'll start diving into and go like, whoa. Like I, I saw something new about the character of God. And the more that you get to actually know God, I think just the deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and you'll fall in love with that God. I, I love that when James says, pursue me. Like if you pursue me, I'm right here. He says, if you, if you seek me, you will find me. That's a promise from scripture that God isn't hiding, right? He, he doesn't, I love the worship song, like he doesn't give himself in pieces. He's not trying to confuse us. He's inviting us into a relationship with him. He's given us his word. Imagine if Paige wrote me a love letter and I read like <clears throat> two lines of it and went, mm, thanks babe, I'll read, I'll read more later. And I just set it down. Would she be like, hmm, thank you? No, like, if, if you treated God's word, like, I love this question. Um, if you spent as much time with God and talking to God as you did, other way around, if you spent as much time with your best friend talking to your best friend or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your spouse, if you spend as much time talking to them and with them as you did with God, how well would you know your best friend? How well would you know your spouse, right? That's a super convicting question for me. If I spent as much time with Paige, talking with her, spent time with her as I did with God, would I have a healthy marriage? 
Does that question make sense? Right? Like if you just took an audit, a lot of us go, I desire a relationship with God. It's just really hard. I feel like we're not really like doing our thing and like I love coming to camp because it like gets me stoked up again. And maybe we live from like camp to camp to camp or like missions trip to missions trip to missions trip and we're like trying to restoke this fire. And I would just challenge you, like we know how to connect relationally with people. We just don't apply those same principles to God all the time. Right? So number one is prayer, number two is God's word. The last one is just each other. Right? Y'all need each other. Iron sharpens iron. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, "As iron sharpens iron, so one woman or so woman sharp, uh, so one woman sharpens another." Y'all need one another. Uh, I've gotten, I've had the insane privilege to do a couple um, safaris over in Africa, and I love w- only one time on a safari have I seen lions on an actual hunt. Okay, but watching lionesses hunt, which Lions, y'all, like it is, it's like the most messed up. Like ladies in the room, if if you watched lions live their life, you'd be like, "Mm mm-mm, right? Like that's not, no, that's not okay, right? Because like male lions, they just chill. They just like kick it back at the den. And the ladies go out, they do all the hard work, they drag it back to the men. And then if the ladies try to take a bite, the man will like maul the lady because he gets the first bite. And you're like, what is, this is so messed up, right? Like this is, it is, it genuinely is, but Anyways, that's neither here nor there, okay? But I was, out on the, I was out on the safari, and if you watch how lions hunt, their number one strategy is isolation. Number one, if you see a zebra, black and white stripes, out in the middle of the Sahara, what color is the Sahara, most of it? Brown, tan, right? Black and white stripes stands out like none other. So why are they black and white stripes? Like, that was kind of a sick joke on God's part, right? Like, why did he do that to them? It's because they're pack animals, right? Like black and white stripes in a pack is super confusing, right? It's disorienting. If you see a zebra out on its, like, on its own, just like <laughs> doing its zebra thing, that's called dinner, right? Like that doesn't last long. So I would just say like when it comes to the church, do not for a second try to do the life of Jesus on your own. Like, don't do it. I'm 30 years old, or I'm about to turn 31 in like a week, okay? And I have two kids at home. I've been a pastor for 10 years. I don't even come close to attempting to live this life alone. My wife was just out of town for like four days, and I texted two of my buddies, and I said, I'm at home tonight. I know what happens when I'm preparing to teach at a camp, and I'm home alone, and my wife's gone, and I have access to the world in my pocket, on my computer, on my TV. I can watch whatever I want. I can look at whatever I want. I texted two of my buddies and said, will you text me later tonight? Will you check in on me? I don't want to do life alone. I don't want to even begin to start to try to follow Jesus alone, because I know that Scripture promises that the devil is like a roaring lion, just waiting Hey, he's just waiting for, for us to give him a foothold in our lives. Okay, so number one is prayer. How do you be a learner? How do you be a disciple? Make time daily, every day. Wake up. Get off autopilot, right? Stop lifting your feet in the lazy river. Plant your feet and go, today I'm going to pray. Today I'm going to open up God's word. Not because that makes me a good Christian. Check. Badge, right? Like I am a good Christian because I read my Bible. Okay, open up your Bible with a curiosity. God, I want to get to know you better. And then lastly, make community uh, like the single most important part of your, of your following Jesus. Surround yourself by guys, surround yourself by girls that will push you that way. Hey, I had a friend tell me this one time. Your friends, your homies, your ride or dies right now, they are either pushing you closer to Jesus or they're pulling you away. There is no in between. 
there's no such thing as neutral ground. So if you can look at your friends and go, uh, I mean, they're not like pushing me to Jesus. That and stop right there. Then they are pulling you away. Right? There is no in-between. So number one, be the type of friend that pushes them closer to Jesus and then find people that do that for you. Cool? Okay? I'm going to pray for us. When I say amen, if you, if you want to dip, leave. If you want to sit and like for 10, 15 minutes of like a Q&A, 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 turned Australian there, okay? Um, I'm going to sit down up here. I'd love to answer any questions you might have, but let me just pray over you guys. Um, and know this, okay? I'm actually going to talk about this a little bit tonight in chapel, but Please know, I'm not standing up on this stage going, I've figured this out. I perfectly pray and read the Bible and surround myself with the perfect community, right? And I have John 15. Like, that's not what I'm saying. That I wish there was a giant mirror on the back of this chapel so I could just go, this is my daily desire to plant my feet in a lazy river of culture and follow this Jesus. Like, that is my absolute core desire. And I slip up all the time and I mess up all the time. And there's grace upon grace upon grace Come back to Jesus and watch him embrace you fully. Um, don't for a second live in the shame of like, dang it, I didn't read my Bible, or dang it, I didn't pray, or dang it, I'm a terrible Christian. That's not the voice of God. The only thing the voice of God is is this inviting grace. Is he going to convict? Sure, right? Like if you feel conviction over sin, that's a good thing. Right? You're getting the, the crap out and you're moving towards Jesus. If you feel shame over sin, that's not God. That's not who he is, Okay. So let me pray over you as I pray over myself as well that we would be people that daily commit to follow this Jesus. Um, Father, we, yeah, thank you for your word. God, thank you for a, a time where we can just meet together and talk through life and, and just be real about the, the struggle that it is to follow you in a, in a culture that feels increasingly like a river flowing away from what it looks like to follow you. So God, I just ask today that May I just pray a bold prayer over these men and these women in this room, God, that they would, you would raise up mighty warriors, God, mighty men, mighty women out of this room that would feel a fierce conviction to daily wake up, open up their palms, invite you in, spend time in prayer, spend time in your word, spend time in community, and just chase after you with everything they are. God, forgive us for the times that we downplay you, forgive us for the times where we disregard you, but God, thank you for the grace that draws us back again and again and again. Scripture says it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. God, would we change our minds about the things that are pulling us from you and just, just chase after you with everything we are. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.